Hey, I'm Caleb Howard, and this is Tales from Sacred Texts, a religious folklore and Christian theology podcast. Here we discuss stories from the Bible, the Apocrypha, and the fine line between myth and history surrounding various belief systems. We take on the stories in a sarcastic and humor-driven way that doesn't take itself too seriously, but still shines a light on the principles and ideology behind the stories and their origin. Today's episode is the story of Samson, and we'll learn just how bad of an idea it is to give superpowers to someone who only looks out for themselves. And if God gives you superpowers with only three conditions, please, for the love of all that's good, don't break those conditions. This is a story from the book of Judges, back when the Hebrew people were ruled by basically an anarcho-libertarian form of government. Every once in a while, when they were overrun by their enemies, a leader would arise, lead an army to crush the enemies, and then return home. For the most part, there was absolutely no government, and people did absolutely whatever they felt like. Which, if you listen to Gebeah, the violence inherent in the system, from this podcast, you'll have a good idea just how crazy the results of this policy were. Anyway, I'll do some more commentary at the end, but for now, we're just going to get into the story. Samson blinked. It was the middle of the night, and he wasn't sure where he was at. Some strange hut, a strange woman lying next to him, and a dead quiet all around. It all came back to him now. Yes, it had absolutely been a great idea to go into one of the chief city-states run by the mortal enemies of his people, whom he had just killed thousands of, to sleep with a random prostitute. Samson hadn't quite grasped the concept that women who you paid to have sex with were not particularly loyal, or maybe he had and just didn't care. He'd been going on like 15 years now, acting with utter disdain for his enemies or the consequences of his actions, and nothing had happened to him. Honestly, it got boring. He missed the rush of adrenaline he had become so addicted to when he was younger before he had discovered the full range of his powers. Now, he really had to get dramatic to feel anything at all. Samson exited the house around midnight, quietly slipping toward the city gates. He had always wanted to try this, and he had to be quiet enough for it to work. When he reached the city gates, he grabbed them with a grip of steel and lifted. There was a creaking and a splintering, and the gates moved from the posts they were sturdily fastened to. Samson pushed harder, and he was able to dislodge the gates from them, gates that would have withstood a battering ram in a siege. Just to show off, instead of immediately dropping the gates and walking off, Samson carried the gates to the top of a hill some distance away, finally setting them down and continuing toward his own land. The mortal enemies of Samson, who had waited around the city and said, we'll kill him in the morning when he wakes up, despite the amount of times he'd managed to get away from them, and the fact that he'd probably be a lot easier to kill while he was sleeping, saw what he had done, and they were furious. The guy who had been intimidating their leaders, harassing their country, and killing their men for years had gotten away again. Walking home in the cool morning air, Samson gloated. Yet again, he'd shown the world that he was invincible. He was a living legend who really lived up to that legend. Years ago now, an angel had appeared to Samson's parents. He had offered their child superpowers for the small price of not drinking alcohol, not banging prostitutes, and not cutting his hair. Not cutting his hair? His father Manoah asked. 
Just shut up, his wife added. The kid's gonna have superpowers. And if you think that these three instructions were a small price to pay for being practically invincible in a time where literally everyone was killing everyone at the time, and your people were being oppressed by an enemy who has been portrayed in various pop culture as smelting weapons in the fires of Mordor, I absolutely agree with you and would totally follow these instructions. Now, maybe Samson followed them at first, but as we'll learn, he definitely strayed away from them pretty soon. Anyway, the parents both talked to the angel, agreed that this was totally great, and then offered the angel food, only to learn that they had just actually come face to face with God. Manoah freaked out because the word on the street in those days was that if you saw God, you were going to die, but his wife was the more logical one and reminded him that if God had wanted to kill them, he wouldn't have offered their unborn child superpowers first, and that kind of calmed Manoah down for the time being. Fast forward a few years, and the child, Samson, was now a teenager and beginning to look at girls. And unfortunately for literally everyone involved, the girl that he first had a crush on was a girl from the Philistines, a group of people who were mortal enemies of the Hebrews. Are you sure you want to marry her? His parents asked. Like, you can marry literally anyone else. A Hebrew, a Hebrew, or a Hebrew, or really anyone that isn't part of the tribe that is always trying to exterminate our people. Samson, being a horny teenager, did not really get his parents' drawbacks. He wanted to marry this woman. End of conversation. He was marrying her. His parents better hurry up and arrange the wedding. Probably against their better judgment, Samson's parents sent messengers to the enemy tribe trying to arrange the marriage for their son. Apparently, this was absolutely okay with the enemy tribe as well, probably because the crush was mutual and the daughter was begging her parents for approval as well. Who knew, maybe some young love would keep the Hebrews from revolting for a few years. Right now, the Philistines were occupying Israel and forcing them to pay a ton of money and it would only take a spark to start a revolution. Yeah, the Philistines were sure they would win, but putting down rebellions took time and always cost some loyal blood. So, in what was apparently the custom at the time, Samson got to go down to the enemy town and look at his new wife and see if she was cute and all that before he sealed the deal. I mean, he knew she was because he'd already seen her secretly, but he wasn't going to miss the chance to see her again. On the way, he encountered a lion. Fun fact, lions used to range through most of Africa, much of Asia, and even some of Europe. Asiatic lions, which used to live in Israel, now only exist in the Gur Forest National Park in India. And African lions only exist in isolated pockets in Africa. Alright, so back to the lion. This lion comes at Samson and having super strength, Samson casually rips the lion in half and keeps on walking to the town because, yes, he can. Maybe a slightly callous move, but it was just the beginning of the hubris that Samson began to develop as a result of his powers. The visit in town went pretty well. He had a nice supervised chat with a woman, which was more than you got in some places before you married someone, and the chat obviously went well because of the mutual crush, and then Samson packed up and headed home. A week or two later, when Samson was on the, his way to the wedding, he passed the lion again. In its carcass, there was a bee's nest. Samson thought this was highly amusing for some reason. Since he could rip apart lions, he was not troubled by the bees in the slightest and pulled the honeycomb out of the carcass, eating as he went and giving some to his parents when he met them on the road, obviously not telling his mom where he got the honey from. 
Similar to what we do in modern times, before the wedding there was a bachelor party for Samson and his friends to live it up. Since he was in an enemy town though, there weren't a lot of Hebrews around, but not to worry. The Philistines produced 30 of their young men to party with Samson. Samson, obviously drunk, decided it was a great time to make a bet with these guys. He'd tell them a riddle, and if any one of the 30 of them could solve it within an entire week, he'd owe each of them a nice suit. But if none of them could solve it by the time the week was over, each one of them would owe him a nice suit. And this was a big deal. Suits are expensive now, and you can go buy them at the store, mass-produced in a cheap labor country where people work for pennies on the dollar. Back then, weaving suits had to be done by hand. It was an elaborate and long process. Took highly skilled laborers paid a living wage because, yes, people killed each other all the time in wars, but at least they treated their workers more humanely than we do. The young man figured that at least one of the 30 could probably solve the riddle if given a week, so this was a safe bet. They took it. So Samson proposed his riddle. Out of the eater came something to eat, and out of the strong came something sweet. This was great. For the first three days. On day four, the young men started to worry. They had no clue what was going on, and it was time to resort to more drastic measures. By more drastic measures, they meant telling Samson's wife-to-be that they would burn her and her family alive if she didn't tell them the answer right now. In a twist that has even me shocked, knowing how much woman-blaming went on at that time, the men blamed Samson's wife-to-be for their drunken bet. You invited this guy here knowing how smart he is, the least that you can do is find the answer to the riddle. Samson's wife-to-be, faced with the threat of being burnt alive, made the obvious choice and started begging Samson to tell her what the answer to the riddle was. Seriously? You say you love me and you're not going to tell me the answer? You hate me, she pouted. Samson made the very tactful reply that his mom and dad didn't know the answer to the riddle, so why in the name of sanity should he tell it to her? But she kept begging Samson and accusing him of not loving her. Her very life was at stake. And so finally, on the morning of the seventh day, he finally told her. I don't really get the answer to the riddle and how it works or anything like that, but before sunset on the seventh day, a representative of the 30 said, Honey and a lion, final answer to Samson. Samson was furious. He told them that if they hadn't colluded with his, and quote, cow, they would never have found out the answer. Then he left. Wait, where are you going? You owe us the 30 suits. I'm going to get them, Samson snapped. Samson came back with 30 suits, all right, maybe kind of bloody, but 30 suits that he had taken off of 30 dead Philistines. He had gone to another enemy town and killed every single man, taking their clothes off of their bodies and handing them over to the young men who he'd made the bet with. Whether or not the young men were okay with this, it doesn't say. They were probably furious, but apparently the offense didn't rise to the level of outright war. And after Samson killed 30 men single-handedly, which one of the 30 was going to try to kill him? Samson went back home and forgot about his wife-to-be, who was married to one of the other 30 young men, instead. Samson, who apparently figured he was still married after all this, came back a few months later to see his wife. Her dad held out his hand. Hold up, she's married to someone else. Her dad, who clearly saw that Samson was an erratic man, tried to make the peace in the absolute worst way possible. I thought you hated her, but your younger sister's hotter anyway, you can just take her. Samson's instant response was that now he would be innocent when he started wreaking havoc on the Philistines, something that probably made 
his ex-fiancé's father's blood run cold. So Samson went out and made the obvious move of catching 300 foxes. I have no clue how he did this. These days, even when you have a gun, it's hard to just shoot one, but he caught 300 of them. Perhaps this was a month-long endeavor where Samson just went full-time fox hunting. But when he had gotten all 300, he tied their tails together, put a torch between their tails, and set them loose in the Philistines' fields. I give Samson two stars for creativity. Two have been deducted for animal cruelty, and one has been deducted for sheer implausibility. You're really telling me that you set 300 foxes with torches between their tails loose in your enemy's farmland? They pay Hollywood screenwriters millions a year to come up with this stuff. I'm to assume you came up with this idea on your own? Suppose I do suspend my disbelief, and the story continues. The Philistines, asking the logical question here, said, Who did this? In a shocking twist, instead of trying to kill Samson, they decided the women and her father were at fault, again, and burnt them both alive anyway. Samson told the Philistines that he was going to get revenge on them, this time for burning his former crush alive, and quote, After that, I will stop. So Samson killed a bunch of them until he got bored, and then just went back to the land of the Hebrews to live. And we'll find out what happens next, right after this. The Philistines, not surprisingly, decided that Samson's offer to stop the hostilities was not okay. They brought their army up to the border of the land of the Hebrews. The Philistines told the Hebrews that they were there to capture Samson and punish him for what he'd done to them. The Hebrews, being cowards, ignored the fact that they had a literal super hero, I guess, on their side, and told the Philistines that they would absolutely bring them Samson and just please, please, please stay out of their land. When they found Samson, they asked him why he had killed the Philistines. Don't you know there are lords and masters? Samson shrugged. He just did the same things to them as they did to him. It was absolutely fair. The Hebrews growled. They were in trouble because of this. They were definitely going to hand Samson over to the Philistines. Samson, for his part, was hesitant to kill his own countrymen, cowardly and traitorous though they might be. He made them promise not to kill him, but just to tie him up and hand him over to the Philistines. And that's exactly what they did. As the Hebrews approached the Philistines with the bound Samson, the Philistines shouted with joy. They were so close to revenge. But yet, so far. As the Hebrews handed him over and stepped back, Samson flexed his muscles and the ropes that bound him snapped. He grabbed the nearest thing even remotely resembling a weapon, the jawbone of a donkey, and he swung it at his enemies. The Philistines charged, tasting victory, but they never reached it. Samson swung the jawbone and the Philistines fell before him. Ten, a hundred, five hundred, Samson was unstoppable. When the chaos ended, Samson stood alone next to the bodies of a thousand Philistines. Samson celebrated, chanting a poem as he gloated over his victory. With the jawbone of a donkey, heaps upon heaps. With the jawbone of a donkey, I have killed a thousand men. But then he dropped from exhaustion. He hadn't realized just how tired and just how thirsty he was. He passed out on the ground. When he had been killing his enemies, he hadn't really been thinking about God. But now that he was completely exhausted, unable to move another step, he started thinking, was God going to allow him to win just such a great victory only to die of thirst? He begged God for help. As he prayed, God split open a hole in the ground and it started gushing water. After drinking his fill, Samson recovered his strength and returned to the land of the Hebrews. 
Perhaps it was the fact that he had so utterly humiliated their enemies, or perhaps it was intimidation by brute force, but when Samson returned home, he was accepted as the ruler by the common people. So Samson stayed around, not getting into much trouble, making some minor legal decisions, and enforcing the peace, sort of, for around 20 years. But missing the thrill of his old life started to get to him, and the loneliness did as well. And that's when he decided to go to the enemy capital to sleep with the prostitute. The Philistines had been quiet for the past few years, remembering how they'd been absolutely dominated by Samson, but him waltzing into their land and taking their city gates just for the fun of it? That was too much. So the Philistines began scheming and plotting, working to engineer the downfall of Samson. Their chance came when Samson fell in love with a woman near Jerusalem, her name still recognizable today. Hey there, Delilah. We don't know whether she was a Philistine or a Hebrew. We don't know whether she was a prostitute or an ordinary woman, but we do know one thing. He loved her and she didn't love him. The five lords of the Philistines each offered her 1,100 pieces of silver. We're talking at least 500 years worth of wages for an ordinary laborer. If she could find out what magic Samson drew his super strength from, and most of all, how to neutralize it. So Delilah went ahead and just asked Samson. And as much as Samson loved her, he didn't dare trust anyone with his secret. The amount of times people had attempted to betray him, even his own people, had made him guarded. And so he told her that if he was bound with seven fresh animal tendons, he would have the strength of an ordinary man. Now the Philistines were hiding in the house, and after Samson had fallen asleep, she tied him up with those animal tendons. But when she shouted, the Philistines are upon you, he broke the tendons with ease. Now we have the classic fairy tale rule of threes. Delilah begged Samson for the secret of his strength, accusing him of lying to her while he claimed to love her. Next, Samson tells her to bind him with new ropes, then to weave his hair in the loom. But each time, when the Philistines rush from their ambush, Samson leaps up and fights them off with his super strength. If I had been in this situation, I would have run. Delilah clearly planned to profit from betraying Samson, but Samson stuck around. I'll discuss more why I think he did this later, but he kept spending the night with Delilah and falling more in love with her. Finally, one day, after much begging and pleading on her part, Samson told her the truth. His great strength was part of a contract with God. If his head were shaved, then he would break the conditions of the contract and become as weak as an ordinary person. The Philistines, who were tired of being beaten and killed by Samson and weren't entirely sure whose side Delilah was really on, were loath to come up a fourth time and face Samson. But Delilah promised them that this time, Samson had really come clean with her about the source of his strength. After Delilah shaved his hair, Delilah began to say cutting things to Samson, then to hurt him. But Samson's strength was gone, so when she yelled for the Philistines, Samson was unable to fight them off. Instead, they restrained him with chains. The Philistines, of course, employed the classic ancient world punishments of gouging Samson's eyes out and forcing him to work grinding grain for them without his legendary strength. But Samson had time to think about his life as he ground the grain, and he thought about how he had failed God. The Bible takes care to mention that his hair started to grow again, suggesting that perhaps so was his strength. After a few months, the Philistines decided to do the very obvious thing and take Samson out and gloat about how their God had overthrown Samson rather than, you know, the fact that he broke a contract with his God. The Philistines started praising Dagon, a god with the appearance of a merman that the seafaring Philistines worshipped. They boasted and boasted, making fun of Samson and watching him stumble around with glee. Samson made a big show of, I'm so weak, please give me something to hold on to. 
and to the boy who was guiding him, he asked to be taken directly to the pillars which supported the whole building. Even if someone heard him, though, they didn't care. Samson was vanquished. Defeated. But as Samson grasped hold of the pillars, he prayed to God, asking God to give him just enough strength to get his revenge. He then put himself between the pillars and pushed, and one last time his super strength returned. The pillars crumbled beneath the force, and the building caved in onto the Philistine lords, killing them. Samson killed more Philistines at the time of his death than he had during his entire life. His countrymen, who were now ashamed of being cowards, boldly ventured into the land of the Philistines and retrieved Samson's body, burying him with honors in his family tomb. So ended the story of Samson. The story of Samson is a story of hubris, a man with such incredible powers that he thought nothing could hurt him. After the escapades of his younger years, he felt himself invincible and didn't see any need to worry. By the time he was hanging with Delilah, he had broken two of the three conditions of his superpowers. He drank wine and he'd slept with prostitutes. So when he told Delilah this, that the secret of his strength was his long hair, he expected to be fine even when she cut it. He expected to leap out of bed and still kill the Philistines because he saw himself as beyond the power of any ordinary humans. Samson did reckless and crazy stuff because he could. We watch the Avengers, the Justice League, or your superhero TV show of choice, and you look at these guys and how absolutely good they are, and you're impressed. Modern humans have made the superhero out to be a glamorous, near-perfect individual. The Greeks and Norse understood human nature much better. Their gods were the equivalent of superpowered immortal humans constantly abusing their powers just to create misery for pretty much anyone that minorly annoyed them and doing things either just because they could or because they wanted to see what would happen. The story of Samson follows the second, more realistic view of humans with superpowers. Samson abuses his powers and never really uses them in actual strategic combat, but just to aid his own desires. Giving someone superpowers went so badly that no one ever gets superpowers again in the entire Bible. Sure, there are some characters with the Batman Green Arrow levels of fighting skill, like Shamma, who stations himself in a field of lentils and single-handedly defeats a Philistine army, but there are no more characters with superpowers. I think that points to a lesson about human nature. Humans exist as a reasonable form of polite society right now because a lot of people are afraid of the consequences that others would impose on them if they went off the rails. Having superpowers takes away that fear and allows people to do what they want at no cost to themselves. Acting out may start out small, but it's an addicting process that would almost certainly lead to total recklessness, and people with superpowers would end up self-destructing due to their own hubris. The Judges, as I will discuss in a later episode, is a book that shows what happens when even God's chosen people just start doing whatever they want. History has shown us that even without superpowers, the best nations collapse into maniacal mob rule. It's not wise to trust in our own desires and inclinations. There is a need to trust in standards set out for us, by God, who created us and knows our strengths and our weaknesses. That's the lesson the story of Samson is trying to teach us. That's all for today. Next time, we'll be talking about eternally burning hell. Does God like to roast people for an unfathomable amount of time because he's triggered by them not liking him? Or did that idea come from someone else, namely Satan? Credits to myself, Caleb Howard, for script writing and theme music. Special thanks to Anchor Podcasts and Evoke Music for providing the music and to all my amazing listeners. Please subscribe, leave a review, and most of all, share with your friends. I'm so glad you chose to take this time out of your day to listen to my podcast. I appreciate you all very much. Have a wonderful rest of your week.